0: Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Matt Haver.
1: And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Since 2020, we've been bringing you entertainment news and views, celebrating classic Hollywood, enjoying cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interviewing talented local actors and directors, and chatting with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K., Welcome to episode
0: 69, the first of a two-part interview with Robert Bader, author, archive curator, and the writer, director, and producer of, well, many, many things, uh, including PBS's upcoming episode of American Masters, Groucho and Cavett, debuting for all you Seattle folks on KCTS 9 at 8 p.m. Tuesday, December 27th. Make sure to tune in and discover the enduring friendship between television personality Dick Cavett and his mentor, iconic comedian and one of our favorites, Groucho Marx. The relationship is chronicled through interviews with Cavett, archival footage, and uh, interviews with contemporaries like George Burns, Jack Parr, and Woody Allen.
1: Back in 2018, Robert produced and directed another story of friendship, Ali and Cavett The Tale of the Tapes, which won the Critics' Choice Award in 2020, the same year it debuted on HBO. Robert co-wrote the film with Cavett, chronicling Muhammad Ali's life and career through the lens of his many interviews with Cavett, and the documentary is available to stream on HBO Max and on DVD has also produced critically acclaimed television documentaries, Dick Cavett's Watergate, and Dick Cavett's Vietnam on PBS. Produced numerous archival DVD and CD releases, including five acclaimed DVD sets of The Dick Cavett Show, two of You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx, and two of Bing Crosby, the television specials.
0: Robert also manages the archive of The Dick Cavett Show and is the curator of several important entertainment archives, including those of the estates of Bing Crosby, the Marx Brothers, and Danny Kaye. He also serves on the board of directors for the Al Hirschfeld Foundation and Marx Brothers Incorporated and has helmed countless projects, shows, films, radio and CD releases, including the launch of the Film Preservation Society's silent film restoration series on Blu-ray with the 1925 film Too Many Kisses, which features Harpo Marx. Robert is also the author of Four of the Three Musketeers, the Marx Brothers on Stage, now available in paperback, and the editor of Groucho Marx and Other Short Stories and Tall Tales, an anthology of the comedian's lost writings. His new book, Speaking of Harpo, co-authored with the late Susan fleming Marks, Harpo's Widow, was released in July 2022 and is available now everywhere fine books are sold. And Robert joins us from his home in Los Angeles. Welcome back to the show, sir. We're glad to have you.
2: Well, you had me back, so the first one must have gone okay.
0: (laughs) It went okay. Yeah, we got some positive feedback from the audience. Yeah, not so many complaints.
1: (laughs) I'll try to do better this time. We'll see see how it goes. Well, going back in the Wayback Machine, we first spoke with you, uh, our episode 26, we're at episode 69 now, so it goes back a little bit, April of 2021, smack dab in the middle of COVID, but it's such a pleasure to have you back and to talk about a group of men, Matt and I both talk about all the time and admire and enjoy so much. So um, with the work you do, you're in such a unique position to tell these stories and, and enlighten us and, and our listeners about this uh, this group of wonderful people. Tell us about how American Masters Groucho and Cavett came about.
2: Well, this is a project that is so near and dear to my heart, phrase you hear a lot, but in this case, it's quite true. The fact that I get to make this movie is stunning to me because as a nine or 10-year-old kid, I would sneak out of my bedroom into the living room with a tape recorder when Groucho was on the Did Cavett Show, and I'd make a cassette, and I would listen to it over and over again, (laughs) and I would just study it. And... I told this to Dick Cavett. I had no idea who he was until I saw in the TV guide that Groucho Marx was going to be on his show. That said, oh, this guy must be something. Groucho was going on his show. I had no idea who he was. I was like nine. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Dick Cavett. And all these years later, I get to actually use the master tapes and make a movie about the two guys. So that's very, very special to me because I grew up a complete Marx Brothers fanatic. And Dick Cavett's kind of collateral damage, if you're a Marx Brothers fanatic in the early 70s. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what happened for me. And I, you know, ended up meeting Dick and becoming quite friendly with him and, you know, working with him on several projects. Did a bunch of DVDs with him when I was working at Shout Factory. I did, uh, I I produced Dick Cavett's Watergate and Dick Cavett's Vietnam for PBS. And I made a film a few years back called Ali and Cavett, The Tale of the Tapes. Yep. Did very well. It's now on HBO, HBO Max, if you want to take a look at it.
0: Yeah, excellent documentary.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's really was fun working on that. Dick had a great time working on that film, and he said, "What other ideas have you got?" And I said, "Well, the the big elephant in the room would be uh, you and Groucho. We should do that film." And he goes, "Yeah, let's do it." And now we have it.
0: So, Mr. Cabot, didn't he just have a birthday? November? Is it November twentieth?
2: He's eighty six years old. Yeah, Uh, yeah, just he just turned eighty six, and he's doing great. He's, uh, yeah, I I showed somebody a photograph he and I recently. I visited with him in Connecticut. And they said, "Boy, he looks great. You look like hell, but he looks great
0: <laughs> <laughs> by comparison. He just looks like a youthful guy.
1: <laughs> you know, he looks the same. He looks the same." <laughs> well, Matt, Matt, and I always talk about who are, who's going to be the next big interviewers because we, we talk about who are the great interviewers. You know, people say Johnny Carson and and that. But going back to Dick Cavett, there's something special he had in his interview style that's just been unmatched. And I just don't know who the who the next interviewers are going to be. What what was it about Dick Cabot though, that maybe differentiated him from some of the other ones?
2: I think the important thing to consider is the era during which he had the show. The attention span of a television viewer today is sadly based on things being done in a minute or two or three. And there's no such thing now as a show where, say, a guy like Groucho or Bob Hope or Orson Welles where Lawrence Olivier goes on and does 90 minutes with a good interviewer. There might be good interviewers doing television now, but we wouldn't know from the formats of their show. It's, you know, six minutes, promote your movie, next guest. And that's unfortunately what it's become. Dick was great at it. You know, he took his style from Jack Parr's advice saying, make it a conversation. He always says that when asked. But there is no place to do that on television now. I think Dick's PBS shows that he did from... uh, 1977 to 1982, we did about 1,100 half-hour interviews. Those are absolutely stunning. I mean, it's just a half an hour, sometimes two or three parts, sometimes four parts, with one guest focused on that guest's career, whatever they were promoting at the time, of course. But those are such in-depth interviews. They get used in documentaries constantly. Now, Dick adored Johnny Carson, as did all of us. I like Johnny Carson just fine. But those interviews don't find their way to documentaries too often because they're comedy.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're
2: not in-depth interviews. It's all stick. Yeah, I'll give you a little backstory on something that came up during our Watergate program. And Dick won't mind me saying this now, but um, we were doing some research. And I wanted to know who was on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show the night that Dick was doing the Watergate hearings interviews with the senators in the Watergate hearing room in Washington. And I said, gee, I wonder what was on Johnny that night and I was hoping it was something frivolous and silly to make the comparison, and my dreams came true when I did the research. Johnny had Ricardo Montalban and Yuri Geller that night. <laughs> Yuri Geller Yuri Geller was the guy who would bend spoons with his mind, if right. you remember him. <laughs> um, I, I wanted Dick to say it on camera and make a joke about it, and he had so much respect for Johnny, he wouldn't do it.
0: If only Yuri could have made some of that paperwork disappear.
2: Yeah, he, the 18-minute gap could be Yuri Geller. We, you know, He got a signal That's for right. us.
0: <laughs> you never know. Well, one of the things I love about uh, Mr. Cabot is that he was known as a guy who really did his prep. If there was a book to read, he read the book, you know, and and yet he made his interviews so effortless, especially when he got somebody like Groucho on. And uh, that was just something I think that really differentiated him, like you said, from his peers and people who came before and after.
2: Yeah, I think in some cases with Dick on the show, I've asked him about this a lot. I've had a lot of chances to talk to him about it. Sometimes he would read a book that he liked and then they'd get the guy on the show. So it wasn't necessarily yeah. always assigned reading. You'd yep. see people doing a book tour that would not turn up on the Dick Cabin show. Then there's a guy who doesn't do a book tour who has an obscure book who's on the Dick Cabin show and he's not on anything yeah. else. Probably because Dick read the book and liked it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> from, a, from a producer standpoint, you're an accomplished documentary maker. When you're undertaking a project of this magnitude featuring you know two such universally beloved characters like Dick and Groucho, How do you begin? Do you start, because you also wrote this program, do you start with an outline? Do you write the script? Do you take the interviews that you have that you know you want to include? Can you take us kind of through your process, kind of the Cliff Notes version?
2: Yeah, you know, the Groucho one was different than anything else I've ever done. I haven't, I'm not that accomplished. I haven't made that many of these things. I spent 25 years as an editor doing them for other people, and I decided to start doing them for myself, you know, several years ago, so I've done a handful But what I really found different about this one was I was so familiar with Groucho's appearances on the Dick Cavett show, because I had access to them, I'd seen them numerous times, I'd done those DVD sets, and there was a story there that was beyond what they said on camera. There was a friendship and a love there, and I needed Dick to enlighten me a little bit about that in his interview, and I made a decision early on Now, I could have gone and gotten six or seven other people and interviewed them and just stuck them all through the film, which most people do. And, you know, on the Ali film, I had nine interviews in that film. I went and got some interesting people who could really comment on the time and had valuable context for that story. And I also had to balance that film because there was some controversial stuff in it. I had people who were looking at the film as distributors tell me, um, I can't have that film if you have the stuff about brain injuries, and I don't want the Nation of Islam in the film. And I just said, no, 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 I'm going to have all that stuff in the film. This film had none of that. I didn't need to have any other voices for context. I used a few clips from other interviews on The Cabot Show because they were fun to use and they made sense. But this was Dick's story of his life with Groucho, and it didn't need that. So I really was able to get into Dick's head a little bit. And the stuff that really moves me in the film is when he talks about Groucho's friends pulling him aside and saying, you know, he really loves you. And Dick would get emotional and say, oh, my God, I'm just going to cry that was, to me, the really interesting part of this. There's an interesting notion of the film, one of the people at PBS referred to it as an oddball kind of a buddy picture, which it really is. It's this incredible age difference, but these guys are almost like contemporaries. And I love the story of Groucho mentoring him when he was a young comic, when he was trying to move from being a comedy writer to being a stand-up comedian. And Groucho sees him on TV and sends him a note with some tips. I mean, that's just a phenomenal story to me, uh, knowing both of these guys and who they are and what they ended up doing. And, and Groucho just cared about the guy. You know, he didn't have the greatest relationship with his kids. Groucho had a lot of ups and downs with his children, but he had this incredible love for Dick Cabot. And not very many other people in that position could say that. Groucho knew a lot of young people, he hung out with a lot of comics and young actors. But his relationship with Dick Cavett, it's it's hard to describe. I think the film captures it in Dick's words. But that to me was the real interesting part of the story. Of course, it's a lot of fun to go through those shows and put together the best of it. Uh, yeah. You asked about the process and how I started. My first rough cut, when I laid out all the parts I wanted to use, was two hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, let me just tell you, ain't nobody buying that film. <laughs> so, but how so, do you cut? <laughs> You know, it was like choosing which finger you like best. But yeah. one of the things that I was really determined to do, because one of the things I loved about it when I was a kid, when these shows were on, I just loved it when Groucho sang. When he would come on and do one of his songs, when he did Lydia or Father's Day, or even the weird songs, like Stay Down Here Where You Belong, the Irving Berlin World War One song. It's just such a weird off-the-wall song, and we don't have very many recordings of Groucho doing it. And I just thought... I've got to find room for these songs because it's really the core of what he did on the show. He loved to sing those songs.
0: I remember one of the first times I ever heard uh, Show Me a Rose, which became the song that I sing to my daughter Lucy before bed. And she can sing at three and a half years old was on the Cabot Show. I think it was Groucho's last appearance.
2: I'll tell you something funny. He did show me a rose on the Cabot show three different times. Okay. And well, Early in my editing process, I tried to make a montage of the three performances and he's in like different keys. He's all over the place. <laughs> <he's doing> performances. <laughs> it, just, it just didn't work. It was very much fun to look at it visually. The yeah. three different looks of the show, but musically it was just God awful. <laughs> Any one of them alone is fine, but putting the three of them together just didn't happen. <laughs>
1: Well, you talk about their relationship, and they almost seem, an outward appearances, as you know, the original odd couple. right? You know, Dick Cavett and Groucho Marx. Much is the same way when you look at Ali and Cavett. You wouldn't think that they would have a relationship or or be able to get along as well as they did. But obviously, your your Ali documentary that you mentioned before shows that they did. And and as Dick Cavett states in America in the American Masters trailer, he was 25. And Groucho was seventy when they met, so huge age difference, but you wouldn't know that to, to watch them get along.
2: I like that quote so much, I put it on the poster.
1: <laughs> I think it's in the lead-in on the in the trailer, isn't
0: it?
2: It's so important, yeah, because Dick says we appeared like we were the same age.
1: Right. Yeah. Old souls. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, had this res- uh, this enormous respect for one another. But what was it? Do you think that brought these two personalities together from vastly different backgrounds and different eras? to get along as well as they did. The
2: first thing I'll tell you about Cabot, and he'll be the first person to admit this, when he was a young man, he loved meeting celebrities. He went out of his way to meet celebrities. He went to George S. Kaufman's funeral to meet celebrities. And that's how he met Groucho. <laughs> he told me a story that when he was at Yale, he would come up to New York on the weekends and hang out where they did What's My Line, because he knew where the bar was where they hid the mystery guest, so he would say, "I'd stand there." And one time he said, "Oh my God, I saw Buster Keaton." I saw, you know, Ugh. he was looking to meet celebrities. He was just a starstruck kid from Nebraska who just was enthralled by these people. And Groucho was probably at the top of his list. And you know, I'm sure you know he probably went to George S. Kaufman's funeral, you know, hoping he'd run into Groucho. So I, I tease him a little bit. I said, "So you were like the original stalker."
0: but in the nicest way possible
2: (laughs) oh yeah i mean it was a different time i think there weren't very many people stalking groucho in 1961 so he's probably flattered
0: (laughs) sweeping up his cigar ash as he passes yeah Yeah.
2: i like when dick says in the movie that i tried to impress him any way i could i told him you know i'm not just some guy i write for jack parr and you know groucho you know probably realized the guy was a bright kid but it, it just strikes me as funny that he met him that way i think it's so cute you know it's and it, he tells it well in the film, so I won't spoil it.
0: Well, I'm curious about uh, one other aspect of kind of the tech side of things. So you, you manage the archives for the Dick Cabot show and the Marx Brothers. But now Groucho branched off and did his own thing separate from his brothers in later life. I mean, really, it's kind of the second half of his life and then had this kind of renaissance as, you know, the elder statesman of comedy around the time that he spent a lot of time on on Dick's show. Did you have to seek out any material from other archives of Groucho? And what was, what's the process like? And, and, you know, maybe when, when you get requests, what is that, what's that process like?
2: Well, yeah, I, there, there are a couple of clips from outside sources in this film. I have relationships with a lot of the licensing agencies that do this stuff. And I have obviously licensed a lot of material from different archives. I also represent Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and uh, Bing Crosby archive is fairly massive includes a lot of stuff that isn't even Bing Crosby. So I do a lot of licensing work mm-hmm. for my own films. I license material. There's the Ali film has tons of outside licensed material. So you know a lot of it's from the Cavett Show, obviously, but there's a lot of newsreel footage and stock footage. There's a handful of things in this film that came from outside sources, but not much because the beauty of these films is the bulk of it, and the reason we're here is because it's the Dick Cavett Show. Right. We've turned the Dick Cavett Show now into two television specials and two feature films recently since 2014 so you know I want to keep doing that I want to try and figure out some more because I love working with Dick I love working with the archive but the passion project for me was Groucho I'm surprised that I did Ali first but I think in thinking back on it we started talking about Ali when Ali was very much still alive and with us and one of our dreams was to have Dick visit with Ali and sit with him even though Ali was obviously unable to speak at that time The plan was we were gonna just sit them down on a couch and have them looking at a TV monitor, watching an old Dick Cavett show with Muhammad Ali. And we were in contact with Mrs. Ali and she was okay with it, but our timing wasn't good. He wasn't well, it was near the end. In fact, we were in the middle of making the film when Ali died and Dick and I attended Ali's memorial in Louisville. There's a very funny picture that went out over the wire services of the VIP section. And you see Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson and Will Smith and me and Cavett. (laughs) <laughs> and people were saying, "Who's that guy with Dick Cabot He's yeah. not famous.
0: <laughs> He's a bodyguard protecting him from all these toughs over here."
2: Yeah, right. I'm gonna, knock, I'm gonna keep Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson yeah. away from him.
1: <laughs> Mind your ears. Well, this next question is a little bit inside, maybe inside baseball uh for us, and you know we don't want you to give away too much from the the show that's airing on PBS on the 27th, but. Having worked with Mr. Cabot as manager of the archives and on myriad other projects, uh, were there any stories about Groucho that he told you that were extra special to him or something that surprised you, something you didn't expect about the relationship?
2: Yeah, and it's in the movie. So (laughs) I learned a couple of things. I mean, I have a reputation as a guy who knows entirely too much about the Marx Brothers. I get called with some of the most ridiculous questions And sometimes I can't possibly answer them, but people think I can. Um,
0: New paperback version of your book out, right?
2: Yeah. For the Three Musketeers, the Marx Brothers on stage has been updated, and it's now out in an updated paperback edition. For uh, people who read the first one and are wondering what's new in it. um, I'm not going to tell. But I will say that the uh, stage chronology has been updated and expanded, Uh, found some new stuff. And a couple of stories have been added to the text of the book, things we didn't know about. I found a couple of people. Uh, in fact, the granddaughter of one of the Marx Brothers vaudeville co-stars gave a new story and shed light on some interesting incident that was not in the first
1: edition of the book. Ooh, That's cool. Well, now that's intriguing. Very cool. Yeah.
2: I'll just say that it concerns the three nightingales. Mm. Okay. Takes us back to 190708 to get this story. See, so, yeah,
0: That's way back. Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
2: so we got to get the woman's granddaughter to tell us. The daughter was dead. The granddaughter gave us the story.
0: That's just got to be like treasure hunting for you.
2: (laughs) Oh, it's crazy. Um, Someone apparently, you know, read the book, told her, hey, your grandmother's in this book, you know, wild. It's a person I tried to find when I was writing the book, and I had the mother's married name spelled wrong from some legal document, and I never found her. found her after the book was published, so she's in the updated edition.
0: (laughs) The secret is you found, or the updated stuff is, uh, like you joked uh, off air, you found an extra Marx brother, and he was Dick Cavett, right?
2: (laughs) He's he's an extra (laughs) Marx grandson or something. Yeah, you know, that book has been such a surprise for me. It's a book that I hesitated to write for years because I just wanted to read it. I was hoping someone else would do it. But I accumulated all this research, and you know, I'm not sure if I'm quite the writer who's up to this task of putting this all together. And it took eight years once I put pen to paper to actually write that book. And it turned out to be so big. My favorite joke about it is, if you don't want to read it, just buy it and use it for bicep curls. It's pretty good.
1: It's a big book. It's a big
2: book. Yeah, <laughs> paperback weighs just a tad less because you don't have the hard cover. <laughs> so, you know, I I am so incredibly thrilled that it's been successful. It's had about five printings. It's got a life of its own now. And people just write to me all the time about it. The book is six years old. I'm still getting letters from people who just read it and they can't believe the research and stuff. And I was just trying to put all that research in one place so it would exist mm-hmm. in one place. And I tried to turn it into a compelling story. And I think people like it. You know, I'm really happy about that.
0: Well, and that actually leads us into our next question. You know, the the next generation to read those books and to have access to that material. What is it about both Groucho and Dick, known for smart innuendo, sharp candor, jokes that may not fly or land with audiences the way they did back when they were in their heydays, but they still have such a rabid following? Uh, And in the case of Groucho, even impersonators, our mutual friend Frank Ferrante. What is it that's still so appealing about their style of comedy, their approach to entertainment that you think will stick with us into future generations and maybe what you think that young entertainers can can take from these two gentlemen?
2: You know, interestingly enough, I get asked that question quite a lot. I bet. <laughs> and and I, I have what I think is the correct answer. And you guys can tell me if you're with me on this. No matter what you do in a comedy, there's a chance it'll become dated and you don't know if it's going to last one. There are comedies from 10 years ago that no longer work. However, if you decide to make fun of something like government's going to war, or college, or the opera, that doesn't get old. People always like sticking a pin in the balloon of pomposity, as they say. People always like the idea of saying your government is a bunch of idiots. People love the idea of saying college is ridiculous. This is not going to change. So that's why I think the Marx Brothers continue to resonate. I don't think that's ever going to stop. Now, the other part of that is interesting to tie this together. A guy like Dick Cavett gave Groucho not just a second act, how about a third act? Because if we say the movies was act one and You Bet Your Life was act two, the Dick Cavett shows really closing the curtain on Groucho's career. Dick likes to say he got the last of Groucho's prime or the last of Groucho's greatness, it's true. There's the old guy in the beret, not really doing much anymore, but he comes on the Cavett show a handful of times, and he just kills it. He's still funny. He's still sharp. He ad-libs and throws Cavett off in his chair laughing. You know, that's that's still firing on all cylinders. Groucho right there. So the Dick Cavett shows, in a sense, keep him going for another generation or two. And what's really funny to me about it is now – Dick is an older guy, and people are discovering his stuff. For example, we have the shows running on the Decades channel, and I get letters from people who watch it every night. I have friends who watch it every night. And I'll get a call from somebody who goes, oh, my God, I just watched Dick interview Lawrence Olivier. It's amazing. You know, these people were not alive when that show was on. And people still care about Lawrence Olivier, and as a result, they still care about Dick Cavett. The conduit to Dick Cavett is all these fascinating people he spoke with.
0: I don't think there's one show that we've prepared for, an interview we prepared for, that he hasn't run through our minds. You know, definitely someone that we aspire to. Um, you know, there's that level of, of, you know, conversational interview and giving a topic or a guest, you know, the ability to, uh, to have a full conversation about what they're passionate about. And, I, you know, that's something that you saw on that show was not only was Groucho given a forum, but he had a worthy sparring partner. They sharpened each other that way.
2: Well, you guys are sort of doing something in that tradition with what you do, because if this was another kind of show, you would have escorted me off after about 10 minutes and you'd have a prop comic smashing a watermelon right. with a mallet yeah. right now. That's
0: right. Get, get the hook for this guy.
2: <laughs> I, I pay loving tribute to the late Gallagher
1: there. <laughs> I was gonna right. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: well, we are uh, so looking forward to the 27th. The show, as we mentioned in the intro, is debuting on uh, at 8 p.m. on KCTS 9 here in the Seattle area. Where is the project going for you next? Now, I know we had to kind of reschedule this interview a few times. You've got some premieres and you're doing some traveling to promote and things like that.
2: Yeah, uh, we had the world premiere of the film in October at the Hamptons International Film Festival on Long Island. Dick was there. I was there. And Alec Baldwin uh, hosted the event and did an interview with Dick and I afterwards. And he liked the film so much that he wanted to do another event because at the film festival, they got to kick you out in 20 minutes because the next film is coming in. And, you know, Dick and I did the festival circuit for the Ali film, and it was always crazy stuff like that. So at one of the festivals, we did Michael Moore's festival in um, Traverse City, Michigan. And we, we did a separate event for 90 minutes where we talked to Michael Moore about Ali and Cabot, which was really wow. cool. But when you do the screening with the talk, it's usually like 15 or 20 minutes, and you just get rolling and they kick you out. So uh, PBS and Alec Baldwin set up this separate event at Symphony Space in New York on December 14th. So I'm going back for that, and then it's going to be on television, and there's still a chance it'll pop up at a couple of other festivals. We've got it in consideration for a couple. I'm not even sure which ones are still not decided. But everybody get to see it on television. It's uh, a lot of fun. I can't wait till people see it because you know I've worked on it for a long time. One of the problems with the way I do my stuff is I try to do everything myself, not because I'm a control freak, which I am, but I don't have a budget to go out and hire a lot of people. So <laughs> I'm working kind of close to the bone here, fellas. I I, uh, I I write, produce, direct, and edit because I don't have anybody else who will work as cheap as I will.
0: Well, in, in some small way, we, we understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you for doing this. Two men very worthy of this attention and... Uh, We're excited to see it. Now, will it be available to purchase uh, as a DVD through PBS?
2: You you can already pre-order the DVD. As a matter of fact, I believe there's an Amazon listing for it. You can get it from the PBS site. And the DVD has about a half an hour of bonus material on it. Beautiful. And I was waiting for which one of you was going to say, bring your dog around, I'll give him a bonus too. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: we'll get get the trailer linked in the show notes and then uh, a link to the DVD and also the PBS site so that people can avail themselves of that. That's uh... going to be a fun holiday treat for everybody.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited about people finally seeing it. I've been kicking it around for like a long time already. So let's get it out
0: there. Well, thank you again to our guest, Robert Bader. Always a good time. Tune in next week, Friday, December 16th, for the second half of our interview as we explore Robert's new book, Speaking of Harpo, co-authored with the late Susan Fleming Marks, Harpo's Widow. And make sure to mark your calendars for Groucho and Cabot, Tuesday, December 27th at 8 p.m. on PBS KCTS 9 here in Seattle.
1: And if you enjoyed episode 69, please make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. You can find all the latest on HeilmanandHaver.com, along with all of our past episodes, stage reviews, and popular segments like Get to Know a Theater, In the Mix, and Behind the Scenes Artist Interviews. As always, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver.